Hey everyone, this is the Everyday Leader Podcast, where we're here from inspiring individuals building and leading teams across Africa. Today, I speak with Yakin Ejegwe from Nigeria. He serves as a Senior Engineering Manager at Deimos, a professional team of software and cloud engineers and experts across Africa that serve clients globally to architect, develop, and maintain their cloud-native applications. Yakin previously founded his own startup, Our Oja, before going on to work in engineering roles at FormPlus and Conga. In this episode, Yakin and I spoke about how his prior firsthand entrepreneurship experience has made him a better manager and team member, the best practices he uses to ensure open communication with both external and internal clients, and why leaders need to be comfortable adjusting their leadership style to match their context. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, Yakin. Welcome to the Everyday Leader Podcast. Really excited to speak with you today. Um, I'd love to have you first reflect on some of your early manager or leadership experiences uh, so you can kind of set us up on your leadership journey so far. I started my career um, in a bizarre way working as a startup founder. Um, so while in school, started a, I started a, an enterprise around um, helping people or artisans in the streets, you know, sell their wares more efficiently and um, so on. So uh, it didn't go well, um, but it was a very good experience where I learned a lot, um, learned a lot around engineering, learned a lot around people, product design, and also learned that I also have uh, a long way to go. And um, I also have a lot of things to develop. So after that, um, I decided to take uh, um, some time, um, fully better understand the industry, better understand the, better understand what it means to actually build a product that functions right. Because I was coming with absolutely no context um, to this strange new world. Um, so I joined a wonderful startup uh, called FormPlus, and FormPlus was very interesting uh, because. We worked very closely. I worked very closely with the founder, right? And I was um, a senior software engineer there and worked very closely with customers across the world. And it was a Nigerian-based, it was a Nigerian-based company servicing clients globally. So um, it gave me that international outlook. Uh, there was a lot of emphasis on engineering properly, but even more so of an em emphasis on uh, Great user experiences, making sure the users enjoy the products, uh, making sure the users get a lot of value from the products. Um, after FormPlus, uh, I had the opportunity to work at Conga. Um, yeah, so that was a, a wonderful experience for me um, at Conga. Uh, at the time, was one of the largest e-commerce brands in Nigeria. Uh, I jumped in at first. Um, I had the opportunity of working um, I had a very, very quick uh, onboarding at Conga. Uh, so in a very short period of time, I was able to start working with a number of uh, engineering teams. And um, in a very short period of time, I was leading the one of the key engineering teams at Conga. So first, you mentioned that you had started your career as an entrepreneur, and then you wanted to maybe work at a company and get more experience, uh, see how uh, other companies at scale or, or that were scaling were operating. What went into that decision uh, to start with it, with your own company rather than going and working uh, somewhere else first? And if you had to do it again, or if you had to recommend to someone else what to do first, how would you walk them through that decision? 
Right. Um, for me, I think um, it was a confluence of options, right? So I came up from a very um, poor background where most of the people I knew um, and their sustenance through, you know, their tailors, their, you know, roadside artisans pretty much, right? And then there's this big boom in e-commerce. That was when e-commerce was just a thing, you know. Um, the Jumias and Congas were just emerging, for example, right? Um, e-commerce was very much new to us here in Africa, right? Uh, and it was, but it didn't seem as if the artisans then um, had the opportunity to, you know, showcase their wares, right? So for me, it was very much both a, an opportunity and also a social opportunity, um, social um, entrepreneurship um, enterprise where I could see that there was very much a clear need where people on the streets don't have the same opportunities as larger brands to get their brands up on e-commerce. Uh, nowadays, um, that problem is very much mitigated to a very large extent, right? Um, everybody has an Instagram account. Everybody's selling online, right? But back then, it was truly the wild west, right? So for me, starting out, um, I went with the entrepreneurship way because there was no other option, really, right? Um, I could see a very big problem, and I wanted to, um, yeah, I think I wanted to solve it, right? I wanted to do something about it, right? But, uh, which was also where the problem laid in, right? Uh, yeah, I was um, a student studying engineering. Yes, I could do a lot of coding and so on, but also, there's lots that goes into it. You know, you have to worry about uh, funding. You have to worry about creating a very good experience for the merchants that you're working with. You have to worry about logistics was a very big problem. Imagine me telling you to pay uh, 1,000 error for logistics to deliver a 1,000 error product, for example, right? And then um, even till now, right? Now, uh, deliveries and so on are, are much more commonplace. Then it was very, very hard and very difficult for someone just coming up. I was very hesitant about taking on um, VC funding because I felt very much out of my depth. So for someone new coming up, I would say um, a lot of it is around... Um, um, I think it's always going to be on a case-by-case -case basis, really, right? Um, there's an argument to be made for, you know, sometimes just going in with a great idea... Um, if you have the right foundation, if you have the right support, if you can get the right support, which is something I didn't leap onto until it was until much after, until much too late. I wanted to be, you know, the maverick, the solo person, you know, figuring out everything by myself, for example, right? So that was, um, that didn't help me grow. Um, that didn't help uh, my startup grow. So I would say for someone just starting out, um, if you have a great idea, if you have the right support system, um, extremely important, um, if you can get the right people around you, sure, why not give the entrepreneurship a go, right? But if you're also just starting out and you have absolutely no context to borrow on the industry. Uh, you're very much out of your depth. Maybe it's also worth exploring, taking, okay, how else can I, how can I gain this experience, right? Which is the journey I've been on for the last couple of years where I'm trying to figure out what are the O's in my games, right? Where are the best places I could learn those things, right? Because um, I do very much want to get back into entrepreneurship sooner rather than later. I do want to... Um, build products that help people, um, that make a very big positive impacts in Africa because we do have a lot of problems here. Uh, but I'm also realizing that you also need to be equipped um, to actually handle those problems, right? Not just, yeah, not just uh, solve them on a, on the smallest possible scale, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And, and I think one thing uh, that you perhaps also take with you in your current roles, having uh, started your own company early on is maybe a different perspective and different view of the founders of whatever company you're working at compared with 
your peers who have not yet tried their hand at entrepreneurship? How might you look differently to the leaders within your current company or even how you approach your work because of that early uh, entrepreneurship experience? Very much so. That's a very good point. Um, 100%, that has been a very, I think my entrepreneurship um, experience has been a very big bone in that regard. It's literally the secret behind um, a lot of my success in my career so far, right? So um, because whenever I'm going into a company now, whenever I'm working with any company, whether it's just a roadside conversation or just, you know, we're just um, having a chat as we are now, right? I'm always thinking, not just looking at a smaller picture. What's the longer? Uh, what's the bigger picture? You know, um, what's what does X person want? You know, what uh, what is the objective here? What is the rationale here? Or something. So it makes it very easy for me to relate. So um, and have conversations with um, all the CEOs and so on that I've worked with um, in the past. Where it is very easy for me to see exactly what problems they're solving. It's very. It's relatively easier for me to see because I've been. On a very, very, on, a, on, a, on an infinitely smaller scale, um, I've, I have some of that considerations, right? So, and also, it's also giving that push to also always look beyond, okay, it's more than just the code you're writing, right? So, it's something I keep having to remind my engineers where the value that you bring is not in the code that you're writing, it's in actually the business value that you bring into the, uh, to the business, right? So, um, it changes your perspectives a little bit when you realize that, yes. Um, we are here to provide value to our customers, um, to our stakeholders, and the goal is as much as possible, yeah, provide that value, really. And you mentioned uh, when you joined Conga that it was a very quick uh, onboarding. You were a team lead for the front-end front end engineering team. Um, when you look back and when you even approach your current work, um, what would an ideal onboarding experience look like, especially if you're being hired in as a manager and maybe you're uh, immediately overseeing other team members who have already been on that uh, team. So my onboarding at Conga was um, rapid fire to set a list. Um, in the first two months I worked on, I was pretty much um, a little bit of a victim of my success uh, because I love big challenges and I love, you know, writing up to this um, sort of challenge, right? So. In the first two months or something like that, I worked on most of the key teams within Congo, for example. I was being bounced around a lot. And by the last three months, I was already the team lead of the front-end engineering team, for example, right? So that's maybe not, um, that's not something I would recommend as a good onboarding experience for everyone. So um, onboarding, for example, at Deimos, where I work very much, uh, your onboarding starts even before you join. Um, we've I treated on that a lot, and I'm very much in agreement with the direction where we're going. Where it starts with before you even join, right? What uh, what what team are you coming with, right? Um, the meeting set up with your manager. Your manager welcomes you on the very first day, right? Even if you're a manager, you're reporting to somebody else, right? So it only makes sense. You want to make people realize that welcome them thoroughly to the company. They have somebody, usually we call them a body, a co-pilot, which we also had at Conga, right? Uh, at Conga, my body was showing me, oh, this is how the printer works and so on, right? So, which was great, right? So it eases that transition. So having someone relatable, not just your manager, your manager is checking in, but also you don't want to appear ineffective to your manager or you don't want i don't want to go and ask my manager how does the printer work for example right um but having a colleague that you can have conversations with having a peer you can have those conversations with that could help you really settle in that's 
invaluable for a great onboarding experience, right? Then also making sure people are properly equipped, right? Um, you want to help people get into the flow of delivering value, right? Which is something I've seen in a number of places where you join and in the first month, there's no work for you to do. There's no idea what you're supposed to do. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you're being tagged as unproductive, for example, or you're joined and then the expectation is sky high and then you need to deliver on 50 features in 50, uh, in five days or something like that, right? So um, it's around making sure that understanding, giving people the room, um, I think, so sum it up really, for me, onboarding would be around making sure people feel welcome they get settled then um, they have the tools they need to work right um, they have clear expectations and where the clear expectations come in is for example i don't expect you to come in your very first month or even in your first three months and deliver at 100 percent heck if you deliver at 70 percent um in those first few months that's fantastic um uh but in that interval the most important thing for me as a manager or as a team is we want to see consistent consistent growth right we want to see you consistently delivering right um consistently improving right and that's where um that's wh what i would say will make a very good onboarding experience yeah i think you you definitely summed it up and it definitely speaks to the experience you've had onboarding yourself and onboarding others in, in multiple companies and settings you you uh touched on your current work at Deimos. Can you tell us a bit more about what that company does and uh, what your current role is all about there? Right. Um, so Deimos is a DevSecOps company. Uh, we are based in South Africa, but we do work. Uh, we've been remote first since day one. So we support some of the best companies in Africa and some of the top companies in Africa um, across the continent. Um, and what we say is we're a DevSecOps engineering company. And what that means is we help the companies um, we help companies build, right? Build, maintain software, even just providing guidance and our best to build software. Um, we help you secure your applications, uh, make sure, you know, uh, everything is going in line and then every other day you are hearing about another security bridge. And then the last part is, of course, apps, right? You need to run your applications in a cost-efficient way. We're very much cloud-native. Uh, we're the largest Google Cloud partner in Africa, and, you know, we keep, we've been growing at a phenomenal rate. Um, in, and we work with a, very, a lot of very interesting clients, right? Um, and um, my current role at Daimus, I work with our engineering managers delivering value across the value chain, uh, delivering value to our clients, making sure that we have very good engineering practices, making sure our people are happy, making sure we remain the best that we can we can be, right? Making sure we're delivering things at the high, very highest quality, uh, at the highest possible value, right? We want to make sure that our clients are getting the value for their money. And also as a company that is very much founded on engineering, right? Most of our founding members are, um, are engineers themselves, right? And top class engineers. We have this obsessive uh, emphasis on making sure not just we building things, but building things right, right? Which meshes very well with some of the things I, I love doing. So we are paying it up and attention to things like around like our quality engineering, our dev psychology people, but also we remember the people are what makes um, any company really. So um, our people have, we make sure that they have the tools that they need to grow. We make sure that they are happy and they can deliver the best that they can. Amazing. And 
when you when you serve as a manager in in the demos context where you're working uh i'm assuming exclusively or primarily with external clients how might the management style or day-to-day management challenges differ from a typical uh engineering manager inside a company where there's uh only internal clients to work with um, we do have a mix of uh, both demos, both um, internal clients and external clients, right? Um, by internal clients, we're working on a number of products. As an engineering firm, we're always working on ways to improve our processes, right? But um, looking at it from the external point of view, I think the biggest difference is the biggest difference is probably just communication, um, which is something that, um, so them at Demos, we've been remote for since day one, so going on four years now. Um, so we've learned very quickly, like um, it's it's very hard to actually over-communicate. Um, so uh, for example, when working with the external clients, right, one of the key things for us is making sure that they have very good visibility into what's going on, right? You need to know um, exactly what the project is. So as an engineering manager, there's always this emphasis on openness, right? And even just in the remote culture, um, there's this um, emphasis on openness, right? Oh, don't ask questions in private DMs, right? Um, ask questions in um, public channels as much as possible. Is It's something I love saying, repeating that almost every other day uh, to our team members, right? You know, chatting um, open channels, right? That keeps everybody in the loop and then more people can support. And um, it's also, and you know, as a remote first, first culture, it's allows the team to bond together in a way that you can't uh, because we're not physically you know at the water cooler for example right so um that's a very good thing that transitions very nicely with clients also clients wants to know um anybody really um they want to know that um you got this really um that you're moving along yes but you're getting good updates from you there the entire um the they have good visibility into what you're doing right so i'm very happy to show oh this is what we're doing even posting simple things as minutes peer uh, pull requests for example into the um slack channels of the clients you know just giving them the visibility into the process, right? And then with that visibility also comes accountability, right? Um, you know, if you say you're going to do something, then you should do something um, by that time. And if there are going to be any potential delays, you want to communicate as early as possible if there are going to be any, because it affects um, your credibility directly, right? Um, you shouldn't go, oh, I'll get that to you. And then it's not done, but um, there was no upfront communication and then it was the day before. So those are some of the tough lessons I've had to learn recently. Um, but overall, I would say communication is maybe the biggest thing when working with external clients. Amazing. Those are definitely some solid uh, best practices to to live by. Now, when it comes to your, your managerial uh, role, uh, in some sense, obviously, a lot of that is is execution related in terms of engaging with clients and keeping them uh, updated and, and over communicating if possible, like you mentioned. Uh, but how how has your uh, leadership style ha- evolved uh, since maybe your last role at, at Conga uh, several years ago? Have you noticed ways in which you are uh, adapting or ado- like adopting new uh, managerial or leadership style as you uh, grow as a leader? 
So the very, uh, my very, my engagement, while well, I can go, for example, and for a very large part of my career, right, um, I was a very good engineer also myself. So usually uh, my leadership style pretty much evolved and even down from my roots, really, it was pretty much, um, I'll show you how it's done, kind of like, uh, you know, um, set the standards, um, set the bar, and then, you know, uh, people tried to, and then encourage the team to step to it. It's, that's more or less um, how I led for a very long time. It was, oh, um, this is how I think things should go, and then, you know, do something and then show you, and then, um, yeah, then you have to step up or something like that, right? Uh, which wasn't... Um, always the best approach because then it wasn't uh, not everybody on the team had the buying not everybody was in the loop for example right and then for a lot of team members they they need a lot of physical and holding or oh um then instead of bringing holes in the team where they went oh you can do that maybe as a reason for doing that or something i guess and then that is not being challenged even though i'm asking you oh give me your feedback or what do you think or something like that but they go I'm not so sure, you know. So um, that was um, a place that I came from. I've never really been an autocratic leader and say, oh, go do what I say or something like that, right? But um, I tried to just set the standard and then the team. But over time, I've my role has evolved more into, oh, my leadership style really has evolved more into this um, coaching mentality where I show people this is where we're going, right? This is why we're doing X, Y, Z, right? And then coach them and let them take initiatives, right? And let them own the process themselves, right? It's a little bit more of an invincible role, right? Um, where, especially when I'm working with our managers, for example, I don't want to, I even as a manager, I never appreciated it when um, somebody came into my team and told me, oh, this is how your team must work, for example, right? So, um, so when I'm working with my managers, for example, I need to be even a bit more delicate, taking a step back and just little nudges and just learn, taking that coaching mentality and saying, Okay, so this is where we want to get to. We want to be an high-performing engineering organization. And to get there, we need to do X, right? What do you think, right? Um, getting that they're buying from them, giving them slight nudges and saying, oh, when things come out, empowering them to actually make decisions, own the decisions, stand by their, um, stand by the awards, for example, right? Giving them a lot of autonomy in the award. And I feel like we we get, um, that's for me has been where I've really thrived. Um, I don't, definitely don't appreciate it. I want to be given problems. I don't want to see you to give me solutions, right? Um, I want to be given problems and then be supported as I find um, solutions to that right so that's my current that's very much where my leadership style has evolved um over the last couple of years into more of a servant's leadership where it's a lot of coaching with a lot of um uh, autonomy given to the people even to the teams i directly manage um the idea is we know where we're going right we are on the open seas rowing in a specific direction so with that in mind how, can, how best can you contribute, right? And sometimes how best you can contribute is literally just, you know, keep the engines running and just um, putting in your shift, right? Other times it's for you to, you know, challenge even me, your captain, and say, okay, how best can we, how better can we do this and so on, right? Yeah, it definitely sounds like you have evolved your leadership style towards that uh, coaching approach, which is, is definitely uh, the right direction. What I've found in my own experience is that, uh, yes, I want to as much as possible play that role of a coach and empower the team to speak up, to innovate, to 
develop their own solutions because often they're closer to to the actual uh, data and, and the information needed to uh, okay. find those solutions. Um, but what I always struggled with, and I'd be curious to hear uh, how, how you've handled this, is as much as coaching should be the default uh, approach to working with teams, it's not always the best solution. It's not the 100% um, strategy that should be used. And there, there's different situations where it might actually be better to play a more hands-on or directive role, uh, whether that's in times of crisis or whether someone's new or whether someone's underperforming. And I'm wondering how you gauge that. Because um, I would often just sometimes default to the coaching and it would actually be to the disservice of uh, different team members where I wasn't stepping in fast enough to be more sure. direct. Yeah, I think uh, definitely. I don't believe coaching should be the default. Uh, I don't believe any particular leadership style should be uh, a default. Um, as much as possible, avoid being autocratic and you know just being dictating for people. But my um, my intuition is just use the right tool for the job, more or less. Right. Right now, my role requires a lot of coaching, but very much with, uh, with you when you say, for example, if I'm working with a new team, um, a fresh team that doesn't know, um, especially um, sometimes I have to work with new recruits that just don't know how we do engineering and so on. Then I have to take a lot of minds on run and say, okay, this is how we do things, right? Um, and even even going a little bit off the cross, you can say, okay, these are the lines, and we don't cross those lines. For example, we don't play with uh, mutual software, but we don't we over, we communicate on those terms. You know, that's a little bit uh, uh, that sounds a little a lot autocratic, but um, it's also. Um, but for my more experienced teams, for example, for more experienced um, team members or just, you know, people that have been um, that we've worked together for quite a bit, right? I very much am just hands up and go, oh, right, you guys know what to do. Uh, let's run with it, nudges, and also just keep checking in at each point. So I think the best metric or the best barometer to look at that is evaluating the people that you have within this team and even within the team, right? Um, there are different. So I have a team, for example, that I'm working on work. There's a very, very senior, very experienced, very intelligent um, principal engineer. And then we have about three other engineers, very, very strong engineers, also very promising, um, awesome. But they also have different things that they need to work on. Some of them leads just need new nudges. One of them loves challenges. So I go, oh, hey there. Um, we have this problem. Who would like to take it off my hands? Is always going to be the <laughs> is always going to be the first on the, um, in the room to raise up your friends. But also in the nest and the same um, um, team, I have people in the team that just won't ever raise their hands up or say anything. You know, so I have to you know actually nudge them a little, or even just pull them out and go, "Oh, hey there, Mister, what do you think about this? Would you like to actually take this off my hands?" And uh, this, it's. So we even within the same team, uh, I have to use a number of leadership styles, right? So my recommendation for any leader would always be be very comfortable. There was an excellent article, uh, which we've been reading a lot of work recently. I would have to see if I can find the link and share that with you. Where it's around knowing, understanding what leadership styles that you enjoy, um, what leadership styles that you currently do, and what more you need to do more of, right? Um, you don't want to do um it has been found that in the long run um being autocratic just as 
negative benefits really because then your people become more like drones right but every one of them needs to be used in bits and pieces right you need to use them when you need to do you can't take a completely coaching mentality with a fresh new team for example because it's going to take remember we still need to deliver on our kpis we still need to deliver on the products on the value on the things that we're actually supposed to do right so if i'm going to take a, a coaching mentality with someone who is just fresh out of school or who is just you know getting their very first job at this scale for example it's going to take a very long time to even get them to the level right so uh yeah just sometimes using the best tool for the job really absolutely so just as we start to wrap up uh you reflected earlier about moving from entrepreneurship into employment and you hinted a little bit about your interest in getting back into entrepreneurship at some point uh i'm curious how you are going to make that decision uh, I know a lot of people who are interested in, in getting uh, into entrepreneurship and starting their own company in some way uh, and who have had, you know, five, 10, 15 years of uh, corporate experience. How do you make that jump? What kind of uh, criteria or decisions need to be uh, understood and made uh, for that sort of transition? That's really going to be a very personal position for almost everyone really right um everyone it does have different parameters of when they should make the leap uh for me personally i want to i'm looking for the right problem right and um i found a number of them also right but i'm also looking for one thing i've understood is um, there's a lot of problems out there to solve right and yeah, lots of ways to go around it, right? Um, and sometimes you're just not best equipped to uh, solve the problem, right? So uh, so for me, a little bit is around striking a balance, right? And now I have family to worry about. So definitely um, the economic considerations is always going to be a very big, uh, it's always going to be a very big deal, right? So uh, it's going to be a, a that's very good balance between the right problem, um, the right opportunities, and also um, the right resources to pursue um, that, for example, right? Um, and then, because I believe in enjoying what you do, you know? Um, and if, for example, I wasn't enjoying my day-to-day -day at Deimos, right, then it makes the decisions very, very clear for me. I can go, oh, no, you know, um, I'm done with this. I'm just going to, you know, go get back on the VC train and um, start, <laughs> start, that, uh, start that again. Uh, but again, it's just around looking at what problems would I want to solve, right? What are the problems I care about? What are the things I care about, right? What are the things I would love to do on a day-to-day, -day, right? What's, um, am I enjoying, will, I, will this bring me more Enjoy the what I'm doing currently. Um, yeah, and how do I take care of my people when I am off? Um, yeah, when I'm doing that, for example, right? So that's um, maybe um, what my personal barometer would be. <laughs> but of course, everybody would be unique and approach it differently. Amazing. That that's so true. It's a very personal decision, and you need to really be confident that you uh, have found the founder uh, product uh, or founder problem fit. Uh, as you were just describing it. Um, thank you so much for sharing uh, about your journey uh, and, and the learnings and best practices that you have developed uh, so far. Was there anything else that you wanted to share with uh, our audience today? No, oh, um, thank you very much for having me, Chris. Uh, it's been a great um, conversation. Amazing. Well, I look forward to continuing to follow you on your journey 
and uh, see what Demos uh, is able to accomplish as you continue to also grow your footprint and all the various partners that you uh, are working with. So um, thanks again. <music>